This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Welcome. I know you're probably thinking that music was, was too fun to stop at that point, and I agree. But we're going to lay a little bit of context, a little bit of groundwork, and then we're going to uh, jump back into worship through song. And so um, in order to do that, I'm going to ask you if you have your Bible to turn to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the scriptures we're going to talk about this morning are going to be on our screens uh, to the right and to the left of me. Um, I'm reminded as I was preparing this week that God is way smarter than me, Um, which is, I I know you're thinking, well, duh, dude, yeah. Um, But uh, he did something in the planning of this series that I didn't intend, and and this is, um, we, we land on this passage of scripture leading up to Thanksgiving, and it's just a beautiful passage of what it looks like to have a heart that's, that's grateful, that's in tune with what God is doing, um, and that worships him. And so uh, we come to the scripture, I hope you do, with great anticipation this morning, because um, I'm, I'm pretty excited. It's not just the coffee, but I'm really excited for where we're going today. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Uh, King Jesus. As we open uh, the scriptures that that are about you, that point to you, that declare your great name, would you uh, reach down inside through your spirit, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that long to respond to the goodness of the gospel that we're going to see in your scriptures today? And so, Spirit, I ask, would you do something in our time together that I, I simply cannot do? Would you transform hearts and lives and and point people to Jesus, please? It's in his powerful, precious name that we pray, amen and amen. Four objects. A stick, normal stick from my backyard. Legos. A cucumber. And a pillow. Now, in my household, all four of these objects have been used for the same purpose. Here's one of the most beautiful things about having little boys. And you can sit there and judge me, but if you ever get there yourself, you're going to find out it's true. All of these objects in my household at one time or another have been turned into Guns. You're right. Yes. See, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination. And, and here's the thing. It's not like I brought Ethan over to me and said, let me take you under my wing and teach you how to turn this stick into a gun. Right? Like, no dad does that. But it seems as though every, at least little boy, no, no, my, uh, my daughter's like, oh, princess, right? My son's, oh, God, this is a gun, right? And, you don't have to train them to do it. They just simply do it. They can take the most ordinary of things, right? Just a cucumber, right? You're an ordinary cucumber in the crisper drawer of the fridge, and he can take it out. And, and this, I can assure you, is not just a cucumber. It is a gun to take down your brother and sister. I can see some of you are judging me. Just wait. Just wait. 
the parents are going, some parents of boys are going, yeah, it's true. It's true. I don't know how it's true, but it is. Here's what I want to do this morning. Here's what I want to do. If you've uh, grown up in church, if you've been around church for, for any sort of length of time whatsoever, um, I, I want to talk about something that in your mind is probably pretty normal. I want to I talk about something that's sort of just your everyday ordinary cucumber. And what I want to do is I want to re-look at it from the pages of Scripture, and I want you uh, to imagine that this thing is not simply just a cucumber, but is actually a weapon. It is one of the things that God wants to use in your life to shape and to mold you into the image of Jesus. And here's the reality, friends. Here's the reality. That as those who follow the way of Jesus, and, and that may be you this morning, um, that might not be you. If, this, if it's not you, um, you get a um, sort of a window shopping view of what followers of Jesus believe about the way that God transforms our souls. Okay? And my hope is that it's beautiful to you as you look on. But for those who follow the way of Jesus this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to teach you about the greatest weapon at your disposal. And it's a weapon that in the dark seasons of life can sustain you. In the good seasons of life can protect you. And it is a weapon that that every single follower of Jesus has been designed to use. But the thing is, and the problem is, it looks a lot like just a sort of normal everyday object. It looks like something that we experience on just a weekly basis or maybe even a daily basis. But it doesn't look like a weapon to most people. I want to assure you it is. And I want to teach you from the pages of Scripture what it looks like this morning to fight for your faith. Because you will have seasons of life where you need to fight for your faith. Amen? Amen. There's going to be times in life that that are dark and that are difficult. And the question becomes, in those seasons of life, what does God give us to use to continue to walk with him? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. If you didn't, I don't know what I would have talked about today. So, Acts chapter 16, let me lay a little bit of context for us. Paul um, and, and now Silas are on what we call the second missionary journey. They're traveling around. Um, they believe that the gospel is just so good that they need to get out of their own little town and they need to travel by boat, by foot, and they need to share the good news of the gospel with whomever they encounter. So they're following Jesus on this journey of, of declaring the name and the fame of the risen Christ. And here's where we pick up the story. Acts chapter 16, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, starting in verse 6. It says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, just a quick time out. That may seem counterintuitive. God saying, don't preach about Jesus. There. Yet. Because eventually, if you read the whole story of the book of Acts, they're eventually going to circle back around to this very specific region that God says, don't go there yet. But how many of you know that, that God not only has a purpose and a plan, but he has a timeline? So some of you, you've been, you've been talking with a friend about Jesus, and you just sense just closed doors all over the place. Can I assure you that I don't think God is saying no, but he is saying not yet. That's what he says to the Apostle Paul here and to the people he's traveling with. Verse 7, and when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. 
but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, just, um, I'm sure you're familiar with first century map of this area, but if, in case you're not, let me sort of show you where we're working with here. I'm going to shoot the little laser up on the screen. Um, so Paul and his traveling companions are in this region right here of Galatia. Uh, this region to just to the west of them is called Asia. That's where they wanted to go. Um, God said no. Now, in the southwest region of Asia, there's a little tiny town named Ephesus, right? So, so Paul eventually goes there, right? Little church there, okay? But essentially, God says, you know what? I don't want you to go from Galatia to Asia or from Galatia to Bithynia. He's going to say, I want you to go from this region all the way over, cross over all these areas, and get to Macedonia. Listen to the way that he says this. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here's what he does not do. He does not see the vision and sense the call of God and say, you know what we should do? Pray about it. You know what we should do is just, just sort of sit on our hands for a little while and just, just pause. Here's what he does. He hears the voice of God and he goes. What a beautiful picture of obedience. We sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us there to preach the gospel. And they go there and they do. In verses 11 through 15, what we see is one of their first encounters is with a woman named Lydia. And they lead her to Jesus and she becomes one of the early leaders of the church in Philippi. Well, they continue to preach the gospel there because that was their calling. And here's what happens next. Verse 16, jump down there with me. And we were going to the place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So she was a, a, a money maker. She was for this, this couple who, quote unquote, owned her. Um, she brought much income to their household. She followed Paul and us. Notice um, just a sort of side note, editorial side note, is that at this point, Luke starts writing as though he's there, okay? So it's, it's not them, it's us, it's we, it's um, plural pronouns. We followed Paul. Um, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Question, good theology or bad? Good theology Good theology. Um, so d even demons know and tremble, right? And she kept doing this for many days. And I love this, this just side note about Paul. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. I, I mean, just the honesty of the scriptures where he walks into Starbucks, all he wants to do is get a latte. And she's in before him. This is a man who proclaims the good news of the grace and mercy in Jesus and him alone. And he's like, just spoiler alert, will you stop? Will you let me have my moment? Like anywhere he goes, this person is following him and it says, Paul's like, oh, are you kidding me? Can I not go anywhere without this girl telling people about Jesus? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and Paul having become greatly annoyed, I just, I circ just so you know, I circled that in my Bible so that when you annoy me, 
I uh, don't think I'm alone in that. Paul was anointed. Okay, just kidding. (laughs) Turn to the Spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour, that moment, done. The power of these words (laughs) that carry the words of Jesus, unbelievable. Now, just big 30,000-foot view. Paul has heard the voice of God. He's heard the voice of God saying no to one area and yes to another. Paul has followed the voice of God. Paul has done what God has asked him to do. Paul has graciously, sacrificially shared the good news of the gospel. And Paul has now freed a little girl from a slavery that she lived in. And her life is completely different because of it. Good, 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 good. Right? Great. We're on the same page. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they're disrupting our city. They advocate for customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Hearing God, plus following to God, following God, plus preaching the gospel of the king, plus working for the good of those around you, equals you get beaten and thrown in jail. I don't know about you, but I just didn't see that on a lot of flannel graphs growing up. Right, like, like the message was a lot more like... Um, Hey, if you follow God, then he's going to do everything you want him to. And if, you, if you're obedient to God, then it means that you walk into blessing. Now, now that's true, but sometimes blessing can coexist with getting beaten and thrown in prison. So I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison and I'm replaying like, God, I could have sworn I heard your voice say, go to Philippi, right? And, and I did. And then I could have sworn I heard you tell me to preach the good news of the risen King Jesus, and, and, and I did, and people responded. And, and, and Jesus, I drove out demons. You did that same thing, and, and it landed me here. You ever, you ever been there with God? Where you're like, if I plug in the equation, it just doesn't spit out the right answer. From where I'm at right now, I've been obedient, and the job didn't come through, and the family fell apart. I, I've done what you asked me to do, and I still got the phone call that the health was failing. And so we can get to these places in life, can't we, where it feels like faith is just some sort of fairy tale. And it feels like believing in a God who's absolutely powerful and sovereign and good just does not equate with where we find ourselves in life. See, here's the reality is that you and I probably, um, um, Lord willing, won't ever be actually in jail. 
But the reality is, is that every single one of us will walk through seasons and times in life where it feels like the walls are just getting closer and closer in. Where the health eventually will start to fail. Where things relationally won't go the way that we hoped or the way we dreamed or the way that we wanted. And where it seems like, God, I've had faith in you and it doesn't seem like you're yielding the, your end of the equation because I plugged in mine. And the question becomes, what do we do in seasons and times of life where it doesn't feel like God's holding up his end of the bargain, quote-unquote? Or our faith could easily be derailed from believing that God is good, that God is powerful, and that God is present, and taken into a whole other quadrant where we just sort of relegate that to the land of faith, but it really has absolutely nothing to do with real life. What do we do when life actually gets real and it gets hard? I don't know that we've answered that question in a real great way, in a real practical way, as the larger church, because you have a great weapon at your fingertips. Because here's the deal. I look at Paul and I look at Silas and I go, I'm going to complain. We're going to have, God and I are going to have a conversation in jail, okay? I don't have a whole lot else to do. If he's present and I got his ear, I'm not exactly busy So let's have a little talk, God. I did my end. Why didn't you do yours? Either you're not powerful or you're not good or you're just not here. You ever been there? What do we do then? So about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were complaining and crying. Whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Midnight, after they have gotten beaten publicly, painfully, by people who knew how to beat somebody up, okay? These weren't like, hey, let's get a few people off the street and see if they can. No, this is, Philippi is a Roman colony where retired Roman officials went to reside. They knew how to beat somebody, and they did it well. And midnight of that same day, and maybe they're up because their backs are so painful that they can't lie back down, or maybe they're just up because God's Spirit's working something in them, but what they don't do is they don't complain, and they don't get bitter, and they don't ask questions. What they do is they pray, and they sing hymns. Are these guys that are just totally out of touch with reality? Or are they people who, are they people that understand something about the nature and character of God and the way that we interact with God that maybe we don't get? I'd like to propose to you it's the latter. I'd like to propose to you that they've taken something that you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, have been around for a long time. And they've said, oh, I know it looks like a cucumber, but it's really a gun. And here's what they teach us. Here's what they teach us. That worship is the greatest weapon in the life of the believer. Worship is the greatest weapon in the life of the believer. And I am admittedly stealing a lot of this message from my brother who coined that phrase, worship is our weapon, and preaches it far better than I do. But 
Um, so you're getting some of his material today. He loves Jesus. He works in ministry. And this is, I think, probably his theme message. Yeah, Dad? Yeah. Here's two. So I'm, I'm the third most qualified person you know to preach this message. Can I just point out, though, before we, before we jump into where I want to land today, I, I think sometimes w- what we get wrong is that worship is a weapon for our hearts, for our souls, for our world that, that's very real, but what we've done with worship is we've turned it on the people who we're worshiping with. So worship is a weapon. We, we understand it, but it's, it's a weapon that's more revolving around what style we have. Are we, are we modern and contemporary? Or are we traditional? Um, are um, the music's too loud or the music's too soft? Can I tell you how many emails I get about both? I mean, I just, I have like a folder that anybody that sends me uh, the music's too loud, I just respond by, here's the 10 emails that think it's too soft, right? And I, I can't please everybody, but here's what we've done. Um, we only, we only want to sing songs that come from the Psalms, or we only want to sing songs that have been written in the last um, year, or we want to sing songs that were, and it's like, come on. What we've done is we've taken this masterful, beautiful weapon that God has given us and we've turned it on each other and instead we have just a ton of church collateral damage rather than souls that are alive to the good of the gospel. And so what I'd like to do is what I'd, I'd like to take this sort of ordinary thing that you do every Sunday morning at least. And can I just say, sort of side note, I hope it's more than every Sunday morning because it's way too powerful to just get it out on a Sunday morning. Come on. Way too good to not start your day off with just, God, I'm gonna soak in your presence. Here's what worship actually means. If you look at the Greek word for worship, it means to to lay down and to kiss the feet of. I love the way that Richard Foster puts it, and he says this, worship is our response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. It's the way that you and I receive love from God and give it back to him to soak in this goodness of his grace and his mercy and then reciprocate, to to respond to it. Because when you sense and when you know a love this good, it can't just be held inside. It has to be responded to. This is the consummation of worship. We sense your love. We know your love. We know your presence, and then we respond to it. And you thought it was just boring singing. Friends, it's far more than that. It's far more than that. It's a fight. It's a fight. Listen um, to this great passage in Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is it's just beautiful. The, the nation of Israel is getting ready to go to war. They're getting ready to go to war against a number of different nations. And God prompts them in this, and I'd encourage you to go back and read the whole chapter. But as they get ready to go into battle, here's what the book of Chronicles, chapter 20, starting in verse 20, says. It says, And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, He's a king, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, when he'd met with the people, he appointed those who were to sing. Now, this is, they're going into battle, right? Front line, 
The choir. He appointed those who were to sing and praise his holy and praise him in holy attire. Yes. Choir, get on your robes. It's time for battle. Wait, what? I thought we were in the choir. You are. Now march and sing and declare. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when, circle that word, when they began to praise and sing, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. (laughs) Worship was their weapon. Worship was the way that they fought. I went to Colorado State for college and went to a number of football games and we had a fight song there. Fight on, you stalwart Ram team. On to the goal. Tear the insert opponent's name. Tear the Lobos line asunder. As the down the field we thunder, knights of green and gold, fight with all your might. Fight, you stalwart Ram team. Fight, fight. Fight! And we'd all sing it together. And can I just tell you, I think that maybe um, Sunday morning worship is intended to be a little bit more like that than like this. I think these are intended to be, the way God wired us in our very soul is that this would be a time of worship, yes, but a time of fighting. That these are our fight songs. And that as we declare praise and as we declare worship and as we receive and respond to the benevolent love of the gracious risen king, God moves in that. God works in that. It's not some trivial, frivolous thing that we gather together and do, friends. What we do has the ability to change things. Let me show it to you in the scripture in case you missed it. Here's, here's what Acts chapter 16 Verse 25 says, At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly, as in right then, there was an earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men. Here's what we see. Here's what we see. Worship is our weapon, and as we worship, worship changes the the spiritual, and hear me, and physical climate of our world. Now, I know the scientific minds out there are going, Paulson, you're supposed to give us like spiritual advice, but don't, don't tell us stuff like that. That worship actually changes the physical climate? I mean, if you've ever traveled to a place overseas where the name of Jesus isn't lifted high and there's other things that are worshipped, you can step off the plane and walk into a city and you can feel it. I see some heads nodding. You can feel it. Worship changes things. You can feel it when you walk into somebody's house and you go, something's off here. Something's off here. Worship changes things. Worship changes the, not only just the spiritual climate, but the physical climate as well. I mean, look at, we love this verse, especially around election time. We're like, 2 Chronicles 
right? Listen to it, though. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from wicked ways. Now, this is worship, right? This is going to God and declaration of who he is, repenting of who we've worshipped and putting him back on the throne. If we do that, then I will, God says, hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, spiritual, and heal their land. This is, a, this is not, I'll forgive their sin and I'll forgive their sin. Not, not I'll do something spiritual in their life and I'll do something else. These are, he's making a contrast of two different things. I'll forgive them, I'll heal them, I'll restore them, and their land's gonna be different. I think the very ground might even yield more food. Maybe it rains more, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. See, worship doesn't just change our heart. It does that. But it also changes the climate of our world. And, and, and you know this. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of uh, one passage we love, it's on mugs everywhere, is that God inhabits the praise of his people. Right? He dwells in the praises of his people. The, the ESV is, yet you are holy enthroned, or you, you take residence in the praises of your people. So hear me on this. Worship is not a way to get God to do the things you want him to do. Worship is a way to encounter God. Period. That's it. And his presence changes things. So, changes the physical, spiritual climate of our world. Two, worship changes the spiritual reality of our souls. So here, can I, and you just, I just want you to hear my heart, friends. So a lot of us think, all right, so we, we do this thing we call worship for the first 20 minutes of the service. 22 sometimes, right? And, and it's like, all right, let's just get through this so um, we can go watch the Broncos sometimes. And I think what we've done is we've, we've just looked at something we've done for so long and said, you know what, this is the category I put that in. I put that in the category of singing. And can I tell you what we do as we engage in musical worship, and, and please hear me on this, will you look up at me for just a second? What we do as we engage in musical worship is far more fighting than it is singing. It's far more about fighting for our heart and our soul to live under the reality of who Jesus says we are and of what Jesus has already done and accomplished, the fact that he reigns on high. It's far more about fighting for our souls to believe those things than it is about singing. Worship is far more about fighting than it is about singing. Back in 2004, my wife Kelly was, was training for a marathon, and so she was running almost every day, uh, and we have this yellow lab. He's about the most docile animal on the face of the planet. I mean, to the point where our kids use him as a jungle gym, and he's perfectly fine with that, pulling on the lips, pulling on ears, tail, you name it. He's, he is just happy if he doesn't have to get off his bed, right? Did Sherpa move today? No, not yet, Okay. He's still alive. <laughs> yes. Okay, that is our dog. So Kelly's out running with Sherpa on a green belt that um, went behind our house. And this was a trail she did often. And she was running along. And out from the bushes jumped a man. Um, and, and here's docile Sherpa. Just shows teeth. And is like, 
And Kelly's like holding him back. She tells me, I'm like, why'd you hold him? Just let him go. Like, to mom. But she's like holding him back and he's like, oh, you're not getting after my mama, right? And I started to think about, I started to think about the songs that we sing and I think they're far more like that than they are just these nice, trite songs that we sing about God to God, that they are fight songs, friends. That when we walk through dark seasons in life, we release them. Where we walk through fear. See, some of you brought fear in the door this morning. And can I just tell you that we're going to sing and we're going to worship that out of your soul today, hopefully. Because God doesn't want you to carry it. Some of you brought guilt in. You walked in with guilt today. And we're going to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and you. And can I just tell you, that's a fight song. That's not a nice, great song that somebody wrote way, way, way back in who knows when. It's a song for you this morning. That you need to own and release the fight on your behalf. I can remember. My mom was really sick. And we were sitting around in our living room. And my dad and my brother were... We're, we're just playing some songs on the guitar and we sang the song 10,000 Reasons that we're going to sing in, in a few moments here. And we came up on the third verse. Um, that when my end draws near, my time has come. Still my soul, sing your praise. 10,000 years. And it wasn't this nice, oh, yeah, let's sing this over mom. It's this, God, help me sink anchor into this. There's more going on here than I see. There's more going on here than I know. And I'm confined to these 80 plus, however many years you give me. But God, through worship, would you help me see beyond? Would you help me fight for that reality? What do we do here? This isn't some trite game that we play where we try to sound really nice. These are fight songs. So here's what we fight for. Here's what we fight for. And, I, and I'm going to land the plane here. If you're type A, I'm going to leave a ton of blanks unfinished. Happy Thanksgiving to you. <laughs> here's what we fight for. Because I, don't want to, I, want, I want this to be practical for you. Because when, when the, the worship team comes back up and hear me, worship is not all about singing. That's why I, I said preemptively, um, I hope that you do this. I hope that there's a rhythm to your day, to your week, where you engage in times of personal worship. And it may just be you have a, um, in a playlist on your iPhone that you put in and there's songs that make your heart soar. You need that. If you don't have that yet, um, you've got to find it. Contact Aaron. He'll get you one. Yeah. And make your heart soar, right? They remind you. So here's the thing. You don't have to listen to sports talk radio on your way to work. You can worship. And can I tell you, you're probably better when you get in the door for it. Here's what we fight for. Here's what we fight for. We fight for our identity. Worship reminds me who I am and whose I am. Worship reminds me who I am and whose I am. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. 
save wretch like me. So, so I came in carrying guilt and shame, and what I'm reminded of is that I'm a redeemed son of the risen king. We sing it over ourselves, and we sing it over each other. And it's not, oh, how nice, that beautiful song. It's a fight song. God, help me believe this today. God, help me live in this. Help me remember who I am, and help me remember whose I am. You live in a world that so easily forgets, and you, you and I do too. These are slippery truths. There's no accident, it's not an accident, that the first thing that the enemy does to Jesus when he gets him in the wilderness is, here's what he says to him. The tempter came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God. So let me just start casting these seeds of doubt. If you are the son of God, well then, show up. Do your thing. See, here's what worship is. It's this recalibrating of the spiritual bearing of our life to remind us who and whose we are. You're redeemed, you're saved, you're loved, you're adopted, you're forgiven, slates wiped clean. Worship reminds us about it because we need to fight for it. I love the way that this is for me, a fight song this week. It's Ren Collective, Boldly I Approach. He says this. Boldly I approach your throne. Blameless now I'm running home. By your blood I come, welcomed as your own, into the arms of majesty. Fight. Fight. Here's the second thing worship does for us. Worship reminds us gives us an, an awareness of the presence of God all around us. Would you agree that when you're going through difficult seasons in life, when you're in the proverbial jails of life, that it can just feel like the walls are crowding in around you? The health report didn't come back the way that you wanted to. The bank account looks terrible. The holidays are coming up and everybody else is happy, but you have people coming to visit you that you'd rather they go somewhere else. And you're like, just... Not that I don't. I'm not saying that. My in-laws are here, so I'm not. <laughs> Love it when they come. I seriously. And you just feel like the walls are crowding in. And it can be hard to see how God might fit in a situation where the walls are so close. Here's what worship does. Worship reminds us of the reality that God is present that he's powerful, that he's able. I love the way that A.W. Pink put it when he said this, with the last name like Pink, you've got to write awesome stuff, and he did. He said, happy is the soul that has been awed by a view of God's majesty. And it starts to change things in your heart, in your soul, and you fight for an awareness of where God is at. Third, dependence. Worship breaks this lie that we often live in, I can do it on my own. So I, I've read a ton of books and I've heard a lot of people say that men don't like to worship or men don't like, here's, here's what they said, men don't like to sing. Well, then I, I, in 1998, I went to a Dave Matthews concert at Red Rocks and when Dave Matthews hits that note on his card and steps back from his microphone, the whole place lights up with singing. Right, and I look around, and there's men singing. 
And I don't think, and I say this from, from just, this is just me. I don't think that men dislike singing. I think we dislike worship. Because here's what worship demands. Worship demands I declare somebody else is on the throne. Worship demands me admitting I'm not in charge. And worship demands me saying back to God, I need you. I need you. So we'll sing in a few moments this song, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And it's not as though we're trying to pry something out of his hand that he reluctantly parts with. He's going, here, it's here, take it. I know you need me. I've made every provision you could ever possibly imagine. It's there for you. Just receive it. But in order to receive it, you've got to bow down and surrender. See, it's not that we don't like singing. It's that we don't like surrender. Because it goes straight against our pride. Worship reminds us that God is on the throne. Finally, here's what it does. It changes our perspective. It's that getting our view above the waves of life. You see, here's what worship reminds me of, and this is awesome. We sing it every week. Worship reminds us of the reality that Jesus not will be victorious, but has been victorious. Big difference. See, you worship from a place of victory, not for a place of victory. So the command in Scripture is going to be stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Not fight for it, but stand firm. And I know it looks like a song, but it's really a weapon. Because what it does is it reminds you of the bigger perspective of what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is doing. And he has already died for you, paid for you, invited you home. He calls you a son or child of the King. St. Athanasius, one of the great early fathers of the church said this. He said, the Lord calls his ransomed to sing songs of victory. That's what we do. Even when we're in jail, I know it sounds, it could seem stupid, it could seem crazy, it could seem like there's no way, God, you could do something in here. Here's what worship reminds us of. My God is bigger than the cell I'm in. My God is bigger than the health concern that they found. My God is bigger than the kids walking away. My God is bigger than you fill in the blank. And it doesn't mean that the journey's going to be easy, as we already sang, but it does mean he'll bring you safe to the shore. He's already purchased that. Signed, sealed, delivered. When he walked out of the grave, he gave it to you. And in worship, we remember that. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what type of waves are hitting against your boat of life. But can I tell you that one of the weapons at your fingertips, it may look like a cucumber, but I can assure you it's a gun. And it may look really normal, and it may look every day or every Sunday, and it may just feel that way. But can I assure you that God's purpose in our worship is that we would fight for the health of our souls. As we declare truth over us, as we remind ourselves who and whose we are. As we remember that God is present. As we remind ourselves that our lives are utterly, completely, and totally dependent on him. And that's a beautiful thing to remember. Because we take ourselves off and we put him back on that throne. 
And as we remind ourselves, there's far more going on than we could ever possibly imagine. And that this God who we bow down and kiss the feet of is able to do far more abundantly all that we could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. You may never find yourself in jail, but I can assure you, you're going to find yourself at times in life where the walls are just closing in and worship is the way that we engage with God and that he flings those doors open. And they may just be in our heart, in our soul, and in our mind. We, we may never get out of the jail, but he will free us to walk with him as we worship. I'm going to invite our, our worship team to come forward and to lead us in some fight songs. I had a friend this week. I was, I was studying over at the seminary, and I got a, I got a call She was going in for her first round of chemo. And, and I said to her, hey, can I, can I give you a 30-second version of the message I'm going to give on Sunday? And by pastor speak, that means do you have five minutes? <laughs> can I give you the 30? And, and so I said, I, I, know you're, I know you're scared, and I know there's questions, but worship is your weapon. And I know you don't know what the road looks like, but can I assure you that as you worship him, he moves and he changes. And even if it's just in your soul, he works and he molds and he shapes things and he frees you. And so even as you go in, worship. He's worthy of it and you need it. Let's pray and then let's fight. Jesus, we come and we, we bow. You're worthy of all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. And I pray that as we worship, oh, the prison doors of our hearts would fling open. That this weapon that we have at our disposal as your followers would free us from the things that have us bound right now. And allow us to walk into your loving, gracious arms, please. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me as we fight together? This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.